and this means our analysis of current events frequently includes discussion of difficult and explicit content. Any combination of the following topics could be included in our show. Murder, rape, war, climate change, racism, sexism, violence, sexual violence, homophobic violence, heterocentrism, discrimination and abuse against individuals of nonconformist sexuality, domestic violence, child abuse, child rape, child neglect, elderly abuse, verbal abuse, police brutality, microaggressions, ableism, cyberbullying, genital mutilation, ideological extremism, and people just being total fucking assholes. All right, father muckers. And people just being total fucking assholes. <clears throat> All right, we are in with a um, another book club. Right now it is 12.28 p.m. I need to be in the factory for the sixth day of a mandatory seven-day work week because apparently the union I signed up for is, fuck it, I guess the union I signed up for. What can I call it other than that? I am the hip-hop socialist. Alright. So, Venus Kalita is on her way down. Um, yeah, so I'll let folks know, um, yeah. Seven-day work week now. So, um, I talked to, uh, Chelsea Sprinkler with the, uh, Talk Fury program. Gonna be moving that to, um... 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, which is uh, 11 a.m. on Dr. Sprinkler's time. And then I think that shit is like 9 a.m. for West Coast folks. But what West Coast folks are under all that goddamn fire, I don't expect you to be tuning into shit. Y'all niggas trying to live. Let niggas know where niggas need to send help toward. And also, remember, Dr. Sprinkler has the... um that uh red red rag joint popping where they um where they're helping folks out there and um in uh in louisiana and new orleans i think particularly all right take okay decibels still look good all right and what else is good oh yeah i see uh sam loco in the um out there in the uk in the uh comment section said seven days how does that work uh ex- exploitatively <laughs> is how that works and um what i think it is um you know i i've worked in this industry this is uh the fourth year on september 26th it will be uh four years in a few days and um i think it's because it's mostly um labor from folks that moved here i guess we would call it immigrant labor which I mean, in today's political climate, just sounds racist. <laughs> but fucking, uh, because it's immigrant labor, they um they exploit them different, you know. And um and then so when somebody you know an American bloke like me shows up, everyone's like, oh yeah, this is just how it is. What this this is normal, right? I'm like, no, no, this is super. Like holy shit, I, I was 12 years in fast food, and um even the motherfuckers forcing you to do six days for 40 hours faded away pretty quick with just one general manager all right Venus Kalita is here yes we're gonna jump into uh Thomas Frank the people know a brief history of anti-populism part five I forgot to pull the chicken out of the oven as soon as I press play I'm grabbing that so Venus Kalita is gonna hear some shit that I might miss okay yeah that that's how it is folks <laughs> You do these kind of hours, you forget to take the chicken out of the oven. God damn it. 
Well, the uh, but the oven automatically turns off when it ends. Yeah. So it's just a warm sham for my folks that have worked in food. It's a sham right now, and I got to take it from the sham to the fridge so that I can put it in containers, uh, containers, and go to Wizard. All right, let's get a little bit of populism in our system. And I see Maddie Stump. Thank you, Maddie Stump. Uh, hitting up the joint, holding down the wine cellar. We is be needing it. Give the plain people. Hey, let's run that. Let's give that a thirty-second jump start. We always just uh, stop where we fuck. We pick up where we stop. All right, let me get that chicken. Just upon the other, went out of reason together. This passage shows the obvious influence of the French social theorist Gustave Le Bon, whose book The Crowd, William Allen White acknowledges having read and admired when it first appeared in English in 1896. Le Bon's most famous assertion, which White here applies to his fictional populists, was that ordinary people, when gathered in crowds, become psychologically subhuman akin to a person under hypnosis. Laban, who was no fan of democracy, also charged that crowds were irrational, impulsive, suspicious of progress, and fond of authoritarian leaders, precisely the bill of accusations that later generation of American social theorists would use to blast what they called populism. Give the plain people a say, this kind of thinking holds, and by some deep, irrational instinct, they will try to smash the social order and to topple the highly educated people who administer it, bowing down instead before what White elsewhere called the lazy, greasy fizzle who can't pay his debts. Now as then, populism is the word we apply to this imagined war of madness against reason, of entropy against order, of the poor against the rich, of the unthinking rabble against society's Okay, the um, the audio dropped on Thomas Frank Phoenix. Did you fill in the dead air? Uh, well, I called you as soon as it happened, and I was looking. No, no, there's a couple seconds dead air. Shy, okay. Let's see. I hit F5 to reload. Give the plain people a say. Become psychologically yeah. subhuman, akin to a person under hypnosis. Laban, who is no fan of democracy, also charged that crowds were irrational, impulsive, okay. suspicious of progress, and fond of authoritarian leaders, precisely the bill of accusations that later generation of American social theorists would use to blast what they called populism. Give the plain people a say, this kind of thinking holds, and by some deep, irrational instinct, they will try to smash the social order and to topple the highly educated people who administer it, 
bowing down instead before what White elsewhere called the lazy, greasy fizzle who can't pay his debts. Now as then, populism is the word we apply to this imagined war of madness against reason, of entropy against order, of the poor against the rich, of the unthinking rabble against society's brains. Everything I've mentioned so far in this chapter has shown the continuity between the anti-populism of the 1890s and that of the present day. On the important matter of populist intolerance, however, there is a surprising divergence. It is true that one of the words William Allen White and others favored when describing the mental failures of reformers was bigotry, but what they meant by that word seems to have been something very different from what we mean by it today. In his winding account of the madness of reform, White gives no examples of populist racism or populist hatred of Muslims or any other form of populist intolerance. What tainted populism with bigotry was its supposed antipathy to the successful. The movement, White writes, was, quote, a wave of emotion which has jealousy of the poor for the rich and envy of the strong for the weak for its impulse. The problem was the unthinking hatred of the lower orders for their betters. Today, however, the bigotry of populism, its racism and its nativism, is by far its most prominent feature, with the word populist itself having become shorthand for racist. As we have seen, the 1890s populists were not enlightened racial liberals by modern-day standards. Many of them were indeed racists and anti-Semites. Yet in all my reading of anti-populist material of the 1890s, I came across no New York newspaper editorials or political cartoons that attacked the movement for its racial intolerance. This particular charge, so ubiquitous in our own day, seems largely to have gone missing back then. How come? One reason, surely, is that the establishment publications of the time were themselves so frequently racist, it would hardly have occurred to them to charge somebody else with the sin. For example, Life magazine, a relentless adversary of populism, also gloried in publishing cruel stereotypes of blacks and Jews, often right alongside their cruel mockery of agrarian reformers. Judge magazine was pretty much the same, only in color. Flipping through its pages today is like walking through a beautifully appointed home where the dog has been permitted to defecate all over the floor, leaving you to step gingerly between the stinky cartoons, one after another, of grabby men with hooked noses. Anti-populists did not hesitate to use racist images when they thought they might injure reformers by so doing. Caricatures of populist Senator William Peffer as the Jewish hypnotist Svengali were commonplace at one time, for example, and it's hard even to look at the anti-Semitic rendering of a pawnbroker that appeared on the cover of Leslie's Weekly one day in 1896 over the caption, A sure winner if Brian is elected. Speaking of Brian, Judge Magazine seemed to be on a sort of quest to publish the most poisonous imaginable image of the Nebraska idealist. The artist who depicted Brian as Satan also thought to draw a centerfold cartoon labeling Brian an 
assassin who has just killed the creamy white maiden U.S. credit with a long knife named repudiation. For this murderous occasion, the illustrator fitted Brian out with a swarthy complexion and dressed him in the kerchief, earring, and leggings that the stereotypes of the day attributed to immigrants from southern Italy. Four years later, when Brian opposed American imperialism, the same cartoonist in the same magazine thought to call Brian the American Boxer, as in the Boxer Rebellion. Now the Nebraskan is drawn in Chinese costume, his hair in a queue, a ferocious scowl on his face, and of course, another gigantic knife in his hand. Anti-populist racism was not just a cartoon joke. In the South, where populism once made a daring bid for transracial class solidarity, race hate was literally the third party's undoing. As we have seen, Southern populists initially bid for black votes by arguing that the class interests of black farmers were similar to those of white farmers, and that if the two came together politically, they could improve their lot in life. Even more important was populism's refusal of white solidarity, the keystone of the one-party rule of the Bourbon Democrats. To put down the revolt, those Bourbon Democrats eventually turned to their one great weapon insanely exaggerated racial anxiety. North Carolina furnishes the most outrageous example of how it worked. This was the state where populism, in fusion with the local Republican Party, actually captured the government in 1894 and 96, and then made reforms that allowed blacks to sometimes gain political power in places where they were in the majority. It was also in North Carolina that the Democrats' racist campaign against the fusionists grew so hot that it spilled over into murder, mob action, and the armed overthrow of a legitimate city government. The name for that notorious episode is the White Supremacy Campaign, an 1898 effort planned and mounted by the North Carolina Democratic Party to use anti-black hysteria to defeat forever their political rivals. The supremacist leaders played in particular upon the nightmarish threat black empowerment supposedly posed to white women. Amply funded by the state's business class, they issued an amazing assortment of racist cartoons, newspapers, and pamphlets. They brought in the South Carolina demagogue Ben Tillman, to stoke the flames of racist hysteria even more. Then they used paramilitary gangs of so-called red shirts to intimidate populist and Republican voters. North Carolina populists claimed in response that white supremacy was a bogus issue and warned that any move to eliminate, quote, the poor Negro as a political factor, which the Democrats promised to do, would ensnare, quote, the poor white man as well. The true aim of the white supremacy campaign, the Pops claimed, was to distract voters from the real issues, to elevate property over humans, and to see to it that, quote, the dollar is greater than the man. It was to no avail. At the conclusion of this campaign of vicious race hate and mob violence, North Carolina's ancestral Democratic rulers rode back to power over their populist and Republican foes. In the city of Wilmington, they went even further. After the election was over, white Democrats armed themselves, formed ranks, and proceeded into the black parts of town, shooting, killing, and burning. 
The mob destroyed the offices of the city's black newspaper, dethroned the city's Republican mayor, removed its populist police chief, threatened to lynch other politicians, and then saw their deeds effectively ratified by a federal government that declined to act. Is there anything other than horror to be taken away from the story of this racist mob action of long ago? The civil rights historian Michael Honey tells us that, quote, not Negro domination, but too much democracy through the fusion of Republicans and populists set off the white supremacy campaign. The Skip to do, where are my decibels at? All right, popping in um, right there on that moment. And yeah, my decibels are looking kind of high. Gonna have to fix that in post. Whoo! With short, and, and post means a short amount of time before I have to go to the factory. <laughs> yes. Okay, and I'm actually gonna preemptively dance that back 30 seconds. So I'm thinking about what they said. Um, they can't wait to use uh, like racist characters. Yeah. In the name of anti-populism. Yeah. Which uh, you remember those uh, those Bernie Sanders shirts that the DNC uh-huh. had, where they basically drew them like um like a rat. A, you said like a rat. Yeah. Oh, is it that because it's like is that it's similar to how the the like a Nazi cartoonist the you know Nazis part one would have drawn. Um. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that was a thing with Nazis in particular is that um, essentially because most Jews are read as white um, in order to vilify them, something that the Nazis did in particular was keep um, comparing them to a plague. And so they were like playing on like imagery from the Black Death bubonic plague because rats were what spread it. And so they would literally transpose like anti-Semitic like commercials, like ads, um, you know, like at movies and, you know, shit like that, where we're literally like flashed from like a bunch of Jews at synagogue to like rats coming out of a sewer. Like they would do that routinely. Like it was very much an intentional thing to be like, Jews are dirty. Um, they're causing a plague. We need to sterilize the nation. We need to cleanse the nation. It was all like tied into their very specific propaganda language choices. So it was very common to portray Jewish folks as rodents in that, you know, that was just something that they did. Yeah. Extra fun. And um, and I think about that, and this was, it's so easy to find, because just, I remember seeing black folks, like, you know, black partisan hacks talk about this this way, and let's keep it all the way greasy, black people will practice anti-blackness all day, yeah. right, like when you see folks like, um, like Asia B and the Asia B crowd, where like a black man will get shot, uh, an assumed cis black man will get shot by the police for being black. But then Asia B will call on her uh, crowd to be like, hey, come celebrate this with me. Mm-hmm. You know, let's all celebrate this black man being murdered. So, like, yeah. black people will celebrate anti-blackness all damn day. Yeah. Um, just something that, you know, because he talked about it earlier, as far as, like, the professional... Um, like pundits and experts class, right? So basically the people on MSNBC were anti-populism. I think that there is also a lot of anti-blackness and racial gatekeeping there because it's like, oh, we have, um, you know, a Joanne Reed, right? We don't need to hear from other black people. So if Joanne Reed says something is anti-black, it's anti-black, even though Joanne Reed is more invested in class interests than black interests. But like we have our one like token Negro. And so I think that's also 
a factor too because people like still think like the Bernie bro thing is real and they're like oh the Bernie bros are just white cis het dudes and it's like he had the most diverse like, range of supporters of any politician but because you know a Joanne Reed or some sort of political expert got an MSNBC or CNN and was like oh Bernie bros are racist now all of a sudden like that's the official narrative that we're running with and so it's interesting how like you know quote unquote wokeness and identity politics has been weaponized against the people it was created for because identity politics wasn't meant to protect um you know people who have uh, professional degrees and you know work as professional pundits and are pulling in you know six figure seven figure salaries it was meant for oppressed marginalized folks who don't have a voice in politics who are um intentionally left behind by political policy and it's like you know sort of weaponizing that to be like oh well, we have our handful of you know the good negroes so if they say someone's racist someone's racist even if the rest of the black community doesn't agree um, you know, by far and large, like that's just discounted. So it's just always like interesting to me. Like, don't don't be the one token, please. Yeah, they're basically th- those black people are there to keep the white bootlickers from turning into Antifa. That's, yeah, that's yeah. that's their fucking nigga job, and um and real easy to find. And this is from July twenty eighth this year. All right, and and again, like anyone can be media. Wine cellar media is media. Like. Over the past eight years, a lot of downloads, a lot of streams, right? Like wine cellar media is media. And just like this folk, this person right here with their blog, Journal de la Reina, which I want to see a picture of the blogger, right? Like I'd love to see who the blog, maybe you could find that Journal de la Reina. Okay. And it's a R-E-Y-N-A is Reina. Yeah, I'd like to see who this blogger is. Because it seems like they might be black with that name. Like one of them Haitian, Frenchy names. Because Reina is Spanish? Yeah, you're damn right. See? Mm-hmm. Franish is what I meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, this is their, uh, their, their post here. Nina Turner... Uh, voting for Joe Biden is like eating half a bowl of shit. So they're, and I think that's a Nina Turner tweet that this person's critiquing. Okay. And they have a, so y'all folks may remember the cartoons Looney Tunes, if maybe you've seen them before. And they have the part where it's the end where Porky Pig stutters and says, that's all folks. And it says Looney Tunes. And they um, impose Nina Turner's head in the middle. And it just happens to be a shot where the camera is like looking down on her forehead when her hair is cut short and dyed blonde, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, to really emphasize like her face, like yeah. make her face look bigger. Is that the idea of picking that particular shot? And it put Looney Coons over her head. Okay. And their article goes. Nina Turner is a former Ohio State Senator and all-around shithead. This shithead is one of the uh, primary reasons why Senator Bernie Sanders failed in winning the nomination. The Sanders campaign had struggled to pull in votes during the primary. The team was counting on a crowded field and a whisper campaign of information from the likes of her and many other Bernie bros. Because, you know, Nina Turner's church-ass whispers. Yes, she (laughs) does. Actually, I don't actually know what a whisper campaign is. I don't know that vernacular yet. And um, 
Turner, who is a prominent surrogate for Sanders, expressed her lack of excitement for Biden in an interview with The Atlantic this week. Quote, it's like, okay, it was an Atlantic interview. It's uh, it's like somebody saying you have a bowl of shit in front of you and, um, and all you've got to do is eat half of it instead of the whole thing. It's still shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... And, and so they, they put that quote in and then they continue to critique it after calling her a loony coon and particularly choosing that image. Um, they say a troll in the White House or another troll running for the nomination to beat that troll. Sanders surrogates are insufferable. They are not productive and they're agitators who have no credibility in this primary. They are driving a wedge between Democrats who want to protect the House and win back the Senate. How are you just, how are you driving a wedge between you and someone who is your opponent? Y'all already oppose each other. Right. Nigga. But they want to pretend like we're stealing Democrats from them is what they're lying. Because, again, they f- any vote that's not for Republican, they think they're entitled to. Yeah. They think they just get to have that vote. No earning. Just get to have it. And what's the Venn diagram between people who think that and think there's too many participation trophies? <laughs> How circular is it? Um, And they continue a little bit more. Mm-mm. Uh so they say, hell, I'll be more comfortable with Democrats um, holding both chambers and Trump as president if the Democrats do win the White House. The Republicans will oppose the agenda and cause chaos. This is why it's going to be especially necessary for us to make sure Joe Biden wins. We need to stop giving these distractions airtime. All right. So like Thomas Frank said there, they're all and this is a liberal Democrat. Mm -hmm. And their argument is that Nina Turner is a loony coon. Yeah. All right. You found anything about the blog or nothing? I can't find her picture anywhere. Oh, yeah. And and then that that and I know there are people that want their anonymity. But nigga, I don't trust you, (laughs) especially if you're saying like saying shit that rowdy. Like, I say that rowdy shit and put my face right on the camera. Rapists make great fertilizer. Mm. If you're mad at me for saying that, I want to know why. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Nigga. All right. Yeah, I'll put my face behind all my shit. Phoenix Cleeter didn't have safety before, but now she's out of that household. Guess what? Her face is all over shit. She's in (laughs) D.C. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. People drew your face. It's a little weird. All right. And um, from there, I think we can move back to some more Thomas Frank. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say the last thing, one of the last things he said was interesting, um, where he was talking about how, like, basically the white supremacists got wild and started fucking up the populace and this and that. And basically, like, the people who were anti-populist are like, this is what happens. You just need to be more calm and not push the Nazis so, well, not Nazis then, but, you know, not push the white supremacists so hard because this is what happens. Do we still not see the same shit? We have to fucking let neo-Nazis march, right? Because they'll get upset if we don't let them march. We have to fucking, you know, they still have freedom of speech, guys. We have to make all these fucking concessions for white supremacists still to this day, but not for black people. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And you got to hear fucking um, Sagar. Because um, I, I just let the Hill Rising play just so I can hear what bullshit Sagar is going to say. Yeah. And he... He will not, like, just straight up denounce white supremacists. Like, you know how they'll say, 
yeah, I think those guys are bad. And we need to look at violence on both sides. And, like, mm -hmm. he's pro-Trump using the federal government to lock up, um... Of course he is. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, Sagar on that crystal ball and Sagar program is Dirt McGirt. And basically, and Crystal is a grown-ass adult. She knows that she is having her name and reputation used to shoehorn in his ideas. Yep. It's fucking dirty. But, you know, and yeah, Benjamin Dixon is still signed up for the Patreon at 15 bucks. And I will still critique Benjamin Dixon. <laughs> yes. Because Benjamin, this is at, that Crystal Ball Sagar shit, nigga. This is what you were fear-mongering on when I first critiqued your ass, nigga, and your fucking sweaters. Yeah. Because you were on that shit with, um, with Caitlin Johnstone. Like, Caitlin Johnstone has real influence from fucking Australia. Like, the only... Caitlin Johnstone is not influencing anyone. People that already agree are just clicking like on it. Yeah. Nigga, that's it. No one's changing their mind. But that, so nigga, let's see you do a whole fear monger. Get, get a Noah's whack ass and all them niggas back together and do that shit again. Yes, I will critique a nigga that signed up for the Patreon because I don't give a, I'm still unbought. Even if you pay, you still didn't buy me, nigga. You just <laughs> dropped a tip. I'm right. not bought, nigga. Right. All right. So do some shit going at, at, at Crystal and Sagar yeah, honestly, for that. Yeah, I do think um, because, you know, there was a lot of that, like, who's the fuck is doing this? And apparently it's Crystal Ball. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the left should be talking about that more because Crystal Ball is still considered to be like in the leftist camps. And like, that's just not acceptable. Yeah. But be, well, because she's a skinny cis white woman with visible, visible cheekbones. Don't touch the sacred. Hmm. I get it, niggas. I get it, Benny. I understand. I, 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 I get your style. All right. <laughs> All right. And I guess we're going to do the last segment and I got to make sure I'm ready for work. I got to check that laundry. I got to get my broccoli and cauliflower ready for my lunch. I yes. got my chicken ready, but I got to get my broccoli and cauliflower ready. Yeah, I got I got it. When I'm doing hours like this, I know what the fuck I got to eat. Fuck flavor. I ain't have time for seasoning. My chicken is plain and I'm going to slap some ketchup on it. Okay. I know niggas came for book club. Let's go and then saw their deeds effectively ratified by a federal government that declined to act. Is there anything other than horror to be taken away from the story of this racist mob action of long ago? The civil rights historian Michael Honey tells us that, quote, not Negro domination, but too much democracy through the fusion of Republicans and populists set off the white supremacy campaign. The events that followed the white supremacy campaign certainly suggest that this interpretation is right, that the problem was democracy itself. After winning their fanatical white supremacy campaign, North Carolina Democrats set about reversing the reforms passed by the previous legislature. Then they moved to make their victory permanent by stripping the vote from blacks and poor whites. In the face of this final onslaught, the state's populists vacillated and dithered, and before long, they were finished as a political force. A similar mania for disenfranchisement swept other southern states at about the same time, a movement that historians have attributed, in part, to elite fears aroused by the populist threat to white solidarity. In North Carolina, at least, that was definitely the case, and disenfranchisement solved the problem the problem of democracy. And so the populist revolt came to an end. 
After the white supremacists had worked their will in North Carolina, an anonymous black woman wrote to President McKinley, imploring him to do something about what the press had begun to call the Wilmington race riot. Quote, there was not any rioting, she wrote, simply the strong slaying the weak. It is about as compact a summary of this chapter's themes as we will find anywhere. Anti-populism is always about the powerful lording it over the weak. The credentialed and the highborn reminding the world that the definitions of goodness and justice and truth are whatever they say they are. From 1896 to the present, anti-populists have polished an elegant archetype. The undereducated class, as the economist Laughlin called them, are different from you and me. They are obsessive and suggestible and given to fanaticism. They fall for demagogues. They join the mob. They rise up against the experts who direct the system. Economics is beyond them, as are most forms of higher reasoning. And the weakness of democracy is that it is at the mercy of such people. This is the imagined threat that populism presented and the threat that what is called populism will always present to the enlightened few who know how things should be run. Is there a better endpoint? That's just funny to me because I'm like, now, is he talking about Democrats critiquing Trump supporters or Bernie bros? What? what? Oh, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no critiquing Bernie bros. It's just <laughs> pointing out that uh, they're wrong. They're wrong, yes. But yeah, no, that's exactly the arguments that Democrats use. And even um, when it comes to like... Um, regional shit like geographically right it's the same argument they use against southerners and red states like oh they're beyond help they're stupid ignorant like poor rural rednecks like you can't trust them for anything they don't know things right and then you know bernie bros a 15 dollar an hour it just won't work because they just don't understand economics you just can't raise wages you can't just tax the billionaires they just don't understand economics right And it's the same shit they say about Trump supporters. But again, that is that intentional thing of conflating, you know, Trump supporters with leftists or left, more left-leaning folks. It's the same shit as with, you know, what you were just saying with the the Nazis and shit. It's like, well, you know, we have to look at the violence on both sides, guys. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's really not the same thing at all. Like, (laughs) you know, um... But yeah, so it's it's just that sort of thing, isn't the intentional setting up that both sides are wrong and the center is where the adults are, but that also adds to that sort of like liberal sense of superiority, that like we're better, um, we're better at talking about things than other people because we're the adults in the room. Leftists are like immature children who want, you know, ponies and right-wingers are immature, like bigoted, um, you know, racist with Southern accents. Like we're the only adults in the room. And this really is just feeding all those fucking stereotypes and narratives, really. Yeah. And it's like, it's better that I fucking thought for myself. You realize if I would have just, um, if I just went along with what's normal and good. Yeah. And what, what everyone else is already doing, right? Just follow the systems. Yeah. Then I would have been like, I don't know. They're coming out about this Bill Cosby thing 30 years later. 
Yeah. And you realize the conventional wisdom is bad. Yeah. That's why we have all these things. You know, it's like, I, well, I keep trying to tell other black people when they be like, well, white women, I'll be like, there'd be no feminism if white men weren't doing some shit. Yeah. Like, the, or at least there wouldn't be no white feminism. Yeah. Yeah, they're, do, they're doing something and someone doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so don't. Yeah, don't, so don't go along with the, the Democrats' conventional wisdom is what Phoenix Khalif is trying to say. My brain is mostly fried. I'm at a loss of articulation of no, anything. Fine. No, no, I mean, that is accurate because that is the shit. Is like we can't tax the billionaires. Um, we can't, I remember watching an MSNBC segment where they laughed at the idea of UBI because how would we pay for it? And then a couple weeks later, Democrats voted to um, increase defense spending again, increase the military budget again. I was like, well, stop using my fucking UBI money to kill brown kids in Iraq like what the fuck you know but that really is the thing is that they feel superior but they don't actually solve issues it's all about theory and policy and it really is those um you know like we talk about like debates about identity politics and things like that how people of color just like really tired of being like this is a theoretical exercise to you but I have to live with the consequences of your policy it's the same thing the same concept with these economic debates um, when it comes about populism is they're like you know Democrats are like oh we can't afford this we can't afford that we can't do this we can't do that and it's like well why you can't do that people are starving people are dying people are homeless like right what did like shit what the fuck did they just do they just fucking left before passing another um bill for relief from COVID and what's happening now fucking um mass evictions like there are people who have to live with the consequences and now fucking rbg dying it's like we'll see what happens yeah i don't know <laughs> i know everyone's mad at me in my mentions and i don't care oh because you're talking about uh I made my little comment about RBG. That's fine. Oh yeah, no. Well, 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 me, my uh, my vote has gone from one million to two million. Start fundraising. Shit, I would vote for Biden for like three hundred thousand. Yeah, well, not buying my vote is a vote for Trump. That's, <laughs> it's that's a vote for Trump. Yeah, that that's my talking point. <laughs> if you don't buy my vote, you're voting it's a for, vote Trump. for Trump. Yes. Yeah. Why Why don't you want to buy my vote? Yes. What the fuck? Fucking uh, uh, who uh, who Ra- Raytheon bought your favorite politician's vote? Why can't you buy my vote? Exactly, nigga. Exactly. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Chase Bank brought <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's vote. Yes. Y'all niggas might want to start reading some shit, nigga. Why can't y'all buy my vote? You know what? I too am indigenous. <laughs> All right, I am. I'm an indigenous person of You're color, just like Elizabeth Warren. Just like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. What, what? No, you're not. See? See, now this is, you're erasing, just like erasing Kamala Harris's Indian heritage. Yeah, okay. I don't know why you folks do that. Mm-hmm. Kamala Devi. All right, winecellarmedia.com. Uh, I need to wrap this shit up. I will be back. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll ask Human Resources if a, if a, um, a union rep exists. Yes. Yeah, Did because- they give you paperwork when you sign up for the union? Their, their name might be on the paperwork if they give you paperwork. Okay, yeah, I do, I do have a whole fucking thing. It's like fucking like 15 pages or so. I can look at it. And again, folks, I've, I've never done this before. I've never signed up for a union before. This is brand new. And uh, literally the same, what, I signed up for that Monday. And then I walk in Friday to see that, oh, my name's on the schedule for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. But that's what they don't, this is what really pisses me off about these jobs they don't just fucking tell you. Yeah. Because there's there are people that really want that much overtime. Yeah. And they want to work that. 
advertise that. Put that on the billboard. Mandatory seven-day work weeks. Do you love overtime? Bring your ass here. Mm-hmm. You know, because they'll also let you do all the 12 and 16-hour shifts you want. Yeah. You know, or, or until, you know, your body can't handle anymore. And they'll replace you. No worry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, like, let a motherfucker know. Like, they never just tell you this job is mandatory six days. This job is... No, what they say is, here's a paper you can sign up for if you want to be on Saturday or Sunday. I see that paper and say, guess what I'm not signing? Right. And, uh, nope, my name is on the list any damn way. So I'll see if a union rep exists. But also, from what little bit we did read of the union thing, uh... No pro, no strikes and no slowdowns are in the agreement for the union to even exist. So I doubt it's worth a damn. And um, if there is no rep and if it is really just if I can't get five days, then I need to find a way to like unsign from the year. Like, I don't want to pay union dues for something right. I'm not getting shit out of. Right. Yeah. What What am I paying dues for? Fuck off. Oh, fuck. Well, the uh, looks like the Facebook Live died anyway. Oh, OK. So that'll be that. <laughs> All right, so that's it for Facebook Live and podcast audio. Getting the heck out of here. Yes, the episode is shorter, uh, but I'm going to keep bringing you that fucking wine cellar shit. 2020 expansion year, not over yet. Ninth month, ninth month. Is that what they say in sports? Fourth quarter, fourth Fourth quarter. quarter. And everyone starts yelling it. But in baseball, they say a certain number of innings, a certain number of innings. Ninth inning is the last inning. That It it indeed is. (laughs) It's the last cat. WineCellarMedia dot fuck everything. Uh, Patreon.com slash WineCellarMedia fun. Maddie Stump just hit it up. Thank you, my nigga niggas. And um, PayPal.me slash Phoenix and William. Uh, the goddamn uh, the, 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 the Venmo is at WineCellarMedia. And uh, Phoenix Kalita has the cash app. Dollar sign Phoenix Kalita. All right. Let me find my steel toe boots.